You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I have Rosemary Wang back again from HashiCorp. And this time, we dig into HashiCorp Vault as a secrets provider for Kubernetes. Rosemary does her usual fantastic job of explaining complex topics, and we jump right in to the explaining of basics and then taking questions from our live audience. I get questions about secrets in Kubernetes often from my students, so it was great to cover so many topics in an hour that will hopefully clear up some of your questions when you're looking for an external secrets provider in your Kubernetes clusters. So please enjoy this episode on Vault with Kubernetes with Rosemary Wang of HashiCorp. Hello there. My name is Brett. This is my show and we're live every Thursday. If you're not watching this live, come back on Thursdays. I usually have guests. We are usually talking about DevOps and containers and all things cloud native, all the buzzwords. If you didn't know, I also am doing course updates all year this year. So you may, if you're in the courses, you will see new videos arriving. We just launched a couple of new videos last week, fixing some out of date things in Kubernetes. And that is all on my GitHub. You can get all that at brett.show slash course updates. Anyway, let's get to the show. Rosemary Wang is here from HashiCorp. So thanks for being here again. This is your second appearance this year. You are a developer advocate. Tell us what you do at HashiCorp. Sure. I am a developer advocate at HashiCorp, which means that I like to talk to engineers and developers, anyone who's using the open source HashiCorp tools and anything beyond the open source HashiCorp tools as well. I've worked in a lot of various DevOps roles, which I don't know, whatever we call it these days. Yep. But I formally cover Vault, Console, and sometimes a little bit of Boundary. Also covered Terraform in the past, so really enjoy all of the different HashiCorp tools and everything that you can integrate with. And I have a soft spot for Kubernetes. Yeah, I'm definitely at that point now where I have a soft spot for Kubernetes. <laughs> if you look back on this channel 40 years ago, I was probably like, you don't need Kubernetes yet. I was like hand wavy. Anyway, it's better now. It's way better. And yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today, I think, because secrets, I mean, that's all, to me, the topic is secrets, dealing with secrets. And it's not just Vault, but Vault is the theme for today. And you're going to teach me some stuff because I have surprisingly little vault experience. I try to get it into projects, but a lot of the people that I work with are really new just to even secret management. So to them, creating a secret storage solution seems like it might be more complex, but I think you're probably going to convince me that's not that hard. <laughs> well, and I'm going to tell you that the terrible answer that everybody hates, which is it depends. <laughs> mm. Mm. And I, I will say this as a caveat, right? So the secrets are not fun. People like to, you know, literally, there's that saying, fun saying that goes secrets aren't fun. 
But I think that it just depends on what scale you have those secrets, right? So any kind of sensitive information, if you need to manage it somehow, sometimes it's easier to manage in a central location and sometimes it's easier to manage it in a distributed manner. So, you know, it's like uh, the, the way you debate whether or not you centralize something versus you distribute. Mm. And uh, it's the same kind of argument with secrets management in particular. Yeah. And we're going to get into all that. So the first thing that I want to make sure we don't skip. Is there anyone who doesn't need secret management in tech? Is there a, ca- is there a case for not needing secret management? Because everyone starts out with no secret management, right? Well, unless you consider Excel the secrets management item. I mean, we can talk about the first secrets manager, which might be someone's notebook or something. Mm. <laughs> Put it down in or Excel. Even in, forget about systems in general, but imagine your own personal logins, right? How do you keep track of it? It's no longer, we all agree now, Whether or not we follow it, not really sure, but we all agree now that it's not safe to have the same username and password to log into different sites, right? So you need a way to keep track of all the different username and password combinations that you might be using. And sometimes there are ways that you might just remember it through a mnemonic, but most of the time we're probably logging it somewhere and we're putting it in some kind of store, right? Some kind of storage, whether that be Excel, some people like the good old fashioned notebook. I use a password manager. So I think we're now in sort of the era that a number of folks who work in, I suppose the industry are using password managers specifically to store right. usernames and passwords a lot. Yeah. The, I like the rise of the rise of the password manager because I was. I was pro password manager on, in the early days and when, you know, no one had one, you know, it, I would say that no normal person had one. And now I feel like we're at the point where we're maybe not at the peak, we're maybe not over the curve, but the fact that like a normal human can actually store their passwords electronically in a reasonably secure way is a good sign. I think, what is it? The, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? So like the more people that know that password management is a thing and realize, that, oh, I need this for my infrastructure and I need this for all my stuff. I mean, it's a standard problem that everyone deals. I can remember, I'm sitting here recalling 15 years ago where our password management strategy for, you know, everything moved way slower back then, right? So we could put things in physical safes. But my boss had created a, a structure where two people would write half of the password and one person would type in their half, that a person would type in their half. They would write it down on pieces of paper and separate envelopes that we would basically seal the envelope, sign it, and sign the seal and put it in a physical safe. And that was how, it sounds insane, but that wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was close to 20 years ago, but that was, it was a no cost solution to how do we type this password in? And then of course the problem was, is those two people, every time we needed the password, we were gonna have to open up those envelopes and get the passwords out. Yeah, and but then no you burn one, it no after one... reading and then you right. have to like split the password again, rewrite it, reseal yeah. it in the envelope. Because you didn't again. want any yeah. one person. That was the way to avoid having to reach, change a password when someone leaves, right? Yeah, because they didn't know yes. it to begin with so they don't have to have it changed later. Yeah. It's still kind of an innovative idea, but we need that in digital form. So what's the elevator pitch for Vault? Why do I need to even store stuff outside of Kubernetes, right? Because oh, oh uh, people come to me and they're, and they're learning. So like people tend to learn Kubernetes before yeah. they have a secret management solution. And they're like, well, if, so- if Kubernetes can store secrets, why do I need this other thing? Yeah. Yeah. So Kubernetes secrets are not really secret, right? A secret is sensitive information. You don't really want everybody accessing it because if someone gains access to a secret, that secret gives them access to something else, right? So secrets are all about sensitive information that grants you access. And Kubernetes has a secrets object, but it's an object. If you've ever 
printed out the Kubernetes secret, you'll notice that it's in base64 encoded text, which means that someone could just run base64 decode and they get their plain text secret, which means that they can use that secret to access something else. So if you're, let's say, grabbing an image from a Docker repository somewhere, a Docker image repository, that means that whoever gets access to that Kubernetes secret storing, let's say the API token for that, can now go right. and pull or push anything to that Docker image repository. So the difference between a Kubernetes object, secret object versus Vault is that Vault has protections and additional security around how you retrieve as well as the use the secret. So Kubernetes secrets themselves are only as secure as the role-based access control you put around. With Vault, it's also controlling who gets access to the secret. So it's a policy. It's very fine-grained policy. It's potentially managing and rotating the secret for you so that no one can just intercept the secret, right? You can't just go and get the secret as a human user if you want to somehow find a plain text secret. And Vault itself is also able to audit who is using a secret. So it's a great way to just say, you know what? I have a lot of secrets. I have a lot of secrets across applications, service accounts, you know, image repositories, et cetera. I just need to know what is happening in my cluster, who's using what secret, and protect that sensitive information. And if something is compromised, remediate it quickly. Yeah, that last part, you covered a lot there because it there's a yeah. subtle complexity with, especially as we increase the rotation rate of engineers. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't that big of a problem because systems didn't get rotated. People didn't get rotated as much. But even today and even then, I, I found that most organizations didn't handle human exit strategies well with passwords, right? Uh, access to systems, the passwords that they might have seen, they might have known. And so that's always been an elusive sort of problem and solution set for me is how do organizations properly audit, like you said, understand like who has had access to this password and it's like in its lifetime. And because it's not just the age of the password, it's to me, it's actually more about how many people know that password. It's an identity and, problem. And that's yeah. where it's really interesting now. We have an identity problem because containers are so dynamic. Human, you know, now the way we change jobs, the way we change roles, also very dynamic with a dynamic approach to everything, whether it be systems, you know, applications, et cetera. You have to have something that changes with it, right? And secrets themselves, we've relied on them for so long to be static. We relied on them to never change and to only change when we need to. Right. But the reality is when everything else is changing and everything has a different identity, how do you even make sure that it has the right access to any sensitive information that it's supposed to? Um, yeah. It's a very difficult question to answer. Every once in a while, I run into a team that has that hardcore approach of we, we don't ever create passwords unless we can rotate them automatically, which I find such an admirable yet elusive commitment because, it, you know, passwords can be a barrier to productivity, right? Security and security is a pendulum, right? And I think that whenever I see an organization that's like pushing the envelope in this area and they have, I mean, they almost always have vault. It's amazing. It's amazing who doesn't know about vault, right? There, there's so much vault out there. It's everywhere. And it's in the clouds. It's you self-host, you can there's open source, there's paid, there's all these different variants and ways to use Vault. And I feel like it's won. If there was a war, it would have won it. And that's why I feel like I can't believe it's been this long and I haven't had an official show on Vault. So thank you for solving that problem for me, all these videos and nothing about Vault, other than like constantly mentioning Vault for people that ask about secrets, right? Because people want to know, they really want to know, when do I need Vault? Like, yeah. 
one of the challenges I have with students, and maybe you have some advice for them out there that they're not asking these questions, is on their journey to learning containers and Kubernetes, quite often people will not have a centralized secret solution. So the, I always t challenge people with like, don't do too much at once. Don't try to solve yeah. every problem again with containers. And so what do you have a strategy or an implementation a theory around when Vault should be entered into the mix? Is it post Kubernetes or like before Kubernetes maybe? Because I could see arguments for both ways. Yeah, it goes both ways. And I've seen it done both ways because some people, they don't, they might not be running Kubernetes, right? But they might be running other container environments or they're running mm. of very heterogeneous workloads across a lot of different kinds of environments and they need one place to handle all these secrets. A great example of this is that maybe they've got managed databases, they've got on-prem databases, they've got you know, caches, queues, a lot of different kinds of workloads that generate usernames and passwords, and they need a more dynamic way to retrieve those secrets, right? Because if you think about it this way, it's just not feasible anymore to hard code or put some kind of environment variable for an application to use that secret. If it's compromised, you have a whole series. What I joke is plan R, which is you regret, revoke, rotate, reference, replace, and rerun everything in order to just get the new secret. And so my kind of dividing line isn't going to be, oh, you know, it's this environment versus this environment. It's when you have so many secrets across 50 plus repositories that you can no longer keep track of which applications are using which secret. And if you go through the thought exercise of trying to rotate maybe even two or three of those secrets because they've been compromised, how long would it take you? If your answer is, it will take me three days in order to do it. That's usually a sign that you probably need some kind of centralized secrets manager or some kind of mm. location for your secrets. Right. So a time, a DevOps or developers time oriented approach. I like it because yeah, it's all about, it's about what's the most painful thing right now. Yes, exactly. Some people can exist with, without a secrets manager and that's yeah. okay. You know, some people, they manage to scale their environments by encrypting the secret and committing it to version control. And yeah. that works for them. And they have ways to manage it across, you know, you know, 25, 30 different applications. But if then it takes them, you know, days in order to recover an application and remediate a compromised secret, then that's not going to be an effective use of anyone's time. Yeah. We've got lots of good questions. Of course, the very first, one of the first questions was, is Vault better than Achilles? I don't know a key list. Sorry. I'm, is that an open source tool? I don't know what that is. Yeah, it is. I believe it is based on Vault, as I recall. I was like, mm. I have to remember because I was like, wait a second. There are a number of tools that are actually based on Vault. So Vault is open source, which means that you can deploy it yourself or you can use a managed service. So there are a number of managed services out there. I don't remember entirely if Aquilas is based on it or not, is based on open source Vault or not. 100% sure. It's been some time since I've looked, but the uh, Vault itself has a managed offering in the form of HashiCorp Cloud Platform as well. There's not really a better or worse. It's more just what, what is your organization's perspective on how they want to retrieve secrets, right? You know, open source Vault is it will give you a lot of this stuff out of the box. The only downside is you have to manage it yourself. If you go with a managed offering, you have the ability to abstract away all of the operational aspects of running a Vault cluster, and you can really just focus on authenticating the vault and retrieving the secret. There are a lot of nuances to applications retrieving and using secrets anyway. So that's more of a decision on whether or not you want to run it open source yourself or you want to use a managed offering. 
Yeah, and I'm definitely familiar with HashiCorp's cloud tools. And I generally, not that people ask me, but I generally advise that if you're just now getting this stuff now, I would recommend the cloud versions because just like every other cloud hosted service out there, they're probably going to be better at it than you. Like uh, there's something about us. I think I, someone had a great tweet years ago that was like something to the effect of what is it about us that our default nature is to believe that we can run something ourselves better than the entire multi-team organization at a cloud. I'm not talking to like some mom and pop shop that <laughs> does this for does this on the side, but like these professional organizations that have full-time 24-7 ops teams and have all this infrastructure and testing and rigor, and we're one or two people. And granted, doesn't mean you can't run it. It's just, let's assume for a second that the cloud is going to be a safer place than one or two people at our company managing this. So I tend to advise to people, like, unless you have an entire platform team dedicated to running your Kubernetes clusters and, you know, creating your own cloud, unless you have those teams, you probably should be using these cloud services because to me, this is plumbing. I look at like logging and not, not that in a negative way, but these are tools that are not the objective of the, most people's businesses. <laughs> so it's a utility to protect us like all the other cloud things. And I feel like this is something that I just, none of us have free time, right? We Everyone's booked. Everyone's got 40 hours plus work a week. So why would someone take on extra work? So people ask me about what's the right logging solution? What's the right monitoring solution? What's observability solutions? Which Kubernetes distribution should I use? And so often I'm always recommending the cloud stuff because I know we ain't got time for that. So maybe we should just call your cloud platform. We ain't got time for that. Yeah. People ask this question all the time. It's probably worth just framing it this way. People ask, can I run Vault on Kubernetes? And the answer is yes. But now you have to think about state. You have to think about how you're going to handle when Vault goes down and when you have to bring it back up on Kubernetes. You have to think about multi-tenancy, whether or not you want everybody having access to that Vault or you want to put Vault in some sort of Kubernetes shared services cluster, if that's you know the access that people need, or you want to lock that down even further. There are a lot of nuances to running Vault from an operations standpoint, and you can spend hours trying to secure it, organize it, and put it all together. And that's usually a whole dedicated team trying to first put it, at least making it secure, because it's holding secure information. The stakes are really high from an operations standpoint. So it's a lot easier to just say, let me just use a managed service for it. And all I really want is the secret. Just give me the secret, and then I can use it. And if the secret changes, then I want to be able to handle that. Right. All right. So questions, fast and furious. Where do the secrets get stored in Vault? Yeah, that's a great question. So Vault has a series of storage backends. We highly recommend you use the Raft storage backend. Previously, it was the open source version was doing console. Some people still do it. I don't recommend it anymore because we moved the Raft code base, so to speak, into Vault. So Raft is the protocol that allows it to achieve some kind of consensus on the data. And the data is stored using Raft storage. So the Raft storage mechanism in the case of Kubernetes can be backed up to a persistent volume. So you can choose what kind of persistent volume you like in your Kubernetes cluster. And in that Raft storage, the, the data is encrypted. It's encrypted with a specific key. So when Vault initializes, so if you're operating Vault on your own, what you'll notice is there's an initialization command. When you initialize Vault, it generates a set of keys and it will automatically encrypt the information. So it's not like someone can just go to these volumes or go to these, pers you know, these persistent volumes and just extract the information from Vault. 
It requires decryption on the vault side and then with the specific key. And also vault needs access to that volume. So the overview is that it gets stored in whatever storage backend you choose for vault. And the preference right now is raft. Raft. Raft all the things. I recently had a student asking about, you know, exactly this idea of, they they didn't say raft specifically, but they were talking about, you know, the number of nodes and Kubernetes and for those of us that have been around containers long enough or just orchestration of anything for the last eight years, Raft has kind of taken over as the protocol or algorithm of choice. And now when you look at all these things, like just about, about anything out there, it's all using Raft. <laughs> Kubernetes, Docker Swarm, Nomad uses it, right? Console uh, uses it. I, I think Zookeeper either is a variant of I'm not exactly sure about Zookeeper, but I'm thinking it's Raft. Anyway, yeah. So in case you haven't, since we're mentioning it, if you're case you're curious about Raft and its concepts, I actually have the secret lives of data. This is a total sidebar, but those that like to dig in and want to understand, okay, how is my data actually protected? There is this wonderful little website open source here that secret lives of data. Yeah, it's been around a long time. Actually, I think I was giving this out of like 2016, 2017 or something like that, because we were learning Swarm and Kubernetes and teaching them at conferences and people were having a hard time understanding, why do I need three nodes instead of just you know, everyone's very familiar, I think, in the old days of, you know, mirror copies. So a primary node, a secondary node, or a mirror node. All right. So we've got storage backends. Real quick question. Can Vault manage SSL certificates? Yes, it can. I will say caveat to this. Do not store any root CAs in Vault. If you're using something, if you have like, you know, a DNS and then a root CA with it, right? It's not advised. You use an offline root CA and then you can use Vault to issue intermediate CAs. And then you can use that to issue certificates. So Vault has something called a PKI Secrets Engine. PKI Secrets Engine is what you can use to set up to issue certificates. You can use Vault's internal root PKI issuance, issuance workflow, or again, you can bring your own root CA if you want, just keep it offline. Yeah. Generally offline root CAs is an advanced thing that if you're not a PKI expert, you also should not be doing that yourself. I once got hired for a job as the PKI expert 20 years ago. So I'm a little old, but back in the day we had to run, you know, pre-let's encrypt and all of these automated API certificate providers. We had to do a lot more of this stuff ourselves. I'm, I'm very glad that we don't have like I don't want to ever create another root CA and have to manage that offline yeah. and pass the sneaker net. That's what you have to do, people. Sneaker net. Get the t-shirt. You have to pass that data from the offline route to the onlines once every whatever, three years or whatever you have to do it. So I don't miss those days. How to configure now? Maybe this is a little more advanced. We may not have time for this one, but how to configure Vault with managed and on-prem Kubernetes environments. Is that going to lead yeah. us into our demo or I don't know if the demo... I can show a little bit. I can show a little bit of it at least. I'll show you how you deploy Vault. And so if you have managed on-prem Kubernetes environments, it's pretty much going to be similar. I'll at least show what you can do as well as some of the important components that you'll need. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features, and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio-only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. Real quick one, hopefully Vault supports HSMs, right? It does, yes, but it is a Vault Enterprise. 
So do keep that in mind. There is an enterprise version of Vault. There are a couple of things that are supported in the enterprise version and not in the open source version. So if you are using enterprise, HSMs would be part of that. Yeah. And if you don't know what an HSM is, you don't need to worry about it. Let's see what other quick questions I can get. In a scenario, I must have Git and Vault out of my clusters, right? I'm not really sure I understand that question. In this scenario, you know, the Rapid General, can, I can at least answer on the Vault side. I'm not sure about the Git side. On the Vault side, it is advisable to put, because of concerns over access to secrets, it's usually advisable to put your Vault cluster, if you do run it on Kubernetes, not in the same Kubernetes cluster as all your applications, mm. production, et cetera. It allows you to secure it and secure just general access to Vault itself a little bit more comprehensively. There are people who do run Vault, a Vault cluster for every Kubernetes cluster that they have, and they're perfectly fine with that from a security view. But most of the time, we recommend you move Vault not in the same Kubernetes clusters as your applications. Right. right. Kind of like the same thing I would argue is for logging and monitoring solutions. Because if you have a problem with production Kubernetes, how are you going to troubleshoot it if the logging and monitoring is also broken? Uh, ideally, where would the unsealed tokens be stored? Ah, so the unseal, I'm assuming this is the unsealed keys. So a quick rundown as to vault operations. When you initialize, I think this is the what the unsealed tokens are referring to. But when you operate vault, when you're running it yourself, what happens is that vault will come up and it will say it's sealed, right? It's sort of saying you can't access it. Because if imagine someone just decided to do something malicious and restarted all your servers with vault on it, and then they can just restart it and then get access to secrets. That wouldn't be very good. So there is a sealing mechanism anytime Vault restarts. And so when Vault restarts, it basically locks all of the secret information so that you can't access it. And in order to access the secret information once again, you need to go through this process of unsealing Vault. So it uses Shamir's in order to distribute a set of keys. And just Brett, you actually made a great analogy or you made a great story today where you split the password into two separate envelopes and then you opened it up and then reconstructed it. It's the same thing with Shamir's, right? The seal keys should be distributed to th you know three different groups or something. And it requires the three different groups in order to bring at least a certain number of keys to Vault in order to unseal it. So it's kind of like turning the key, you know, you need three sets of keys in order to unlock something. Right. Is this the nuclear code thingy where we have like yes. the two keys that no one person can reach? Okay. Yes, exactly. So storing the unsealed keys. Now, there's a couple ways that you can go about this. You can do something called auto unseal. I don't think it's recommended in terms of production settings mm. just because, you know, you can auto unseal it, which means you store it in some other key management store. So that could be, if you're on your favorite cloud provider, that could be your key management store there. You can do that and that will automatically unseal it. However, if you're in production, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can put this in password managers, right, for specific individual teams. Some people have that, meaning they control the access and they distribute it across maybe like three different teams who can do it or three different individuals within a team. The other thing that some folks do and what I have heard people do is they write it down on an envelope, seal it and shove it into three different safes. Uh, you know, so there's a still certain a number of keys that, yeah, still, still a, thing. a thing. They still get generated um, and they still need those in order to rotate them. But those are the two main ways folks have dealt with this. In the case of, you know, larger scale organizations, usually they have a pass. They usually put it in some password manager somewhere and distribute it to multiple teams. Yeah. Good question. Another question. Let's see if we can. This one's probably a, hopefully a short one. We kind of touched on this a little bit. When does it make sense to pick Vault over some cloud specific service? Yeah, you know, cloud-specific services have a place, right? Because they're really nicely integrated with their offerings. 
So if you're, you know, pick one of the more common cloud providers, AWS, but, you know, you have AWS Secrets Manager, right? And if you're using something like Amazon, you know, ECS, for example, you can retrieve the secrets right from Secrets Manager. If you don't have that many secrets, you know, it's pretty much okay just to use a cloud-specific provider. If you're committed and you're planning to use these services and you don't really want to spend too much time centralizing the secrets, you know, and you're pretty much going to localize it to your cloud provider and, you know, maybe go with a cloud-specific provider. But in most situations, people are using secrets across lots of platforms. So you're either using, you know, Azure or you're using Active Directory or you're using a managed service, you know, monitoring API tokens, et cetera. When you get a lot of secret sprawl where you have it across multiple platforms and you find yourself recycling these secrets across multiple platforms, it's better to think about using uh, a secrets manager like Vault that's not tied to a cloud provider. It gives you the opportunity to handle it all in one place as well as it's an abstraction. So if you do change your target platform, you don't have to worry about migrating all those secrets to mm -hmm. another cloud provider. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of some scenarios I've run into where you, know, you think you're going to use one cloud and then you're suddenly using some other SaaSes, GitHub Actions, whatever. And then you're realizing that you are going to have to end up copying secrets around unless you can come up with a true sort of agnostic, cloud agnostic yeah. or SaaS agnostic solution. So that's a great question too. I think that's a very common one for people is to try to figure out when is the right time for me to invest in this and what am I getting at? You know, what benefits am I going to get? And I think like, you're you hammering in on it's a pain issue. Like when there's too much pain, you're, you're going to know when you need secrets management, assuming that you have a correct security posture, because like obviously you could just YOLO all day long and just make it super easy. And everybody's got a copy of the spreadsheet. And But obviously, well, let's all assume we're not doing that, right? Let's assume we're doing something a little bit better. But yeah, I love the pain. I mean, honestly, when I usually, when I'm working with companies and we start off the project and it's usually a project for, we're going to implement Kubernetes or we're going to implement containers. And they usually bring me in for that. And when that happens, one of my first questions is describe to me, like, give me your top three pains every week. Like, what is the toil? I sort of define the DevOps definition or SRE definition of toil. And I'm like, give me your three pains every week. And each person has their own, right? Like, and every engineer will say, well, my pain is I have to constantly do this thing in, in CI or whatever. And secrets, honestly... Getting access to things, which, which is related to secrets, like getting access to the things I need to do my job and then managing secrets, those are very related. And those, someone's always going to mention them. Like it's almost certain when I ask a team of five to seven people, give me your pains, someone is going to bring up, I'm constantly having to ask, ask for permission to get into systems, or I don't have the passwords I need for my systems, or I don't know how to save the passwords I, need, I get for the systems. I mean, it's just all sort of related to this whole secrets management and our back problem. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but that's the point is focus on the pain. If you don't have pain it, around secrets right now, you maybe can push it off a little bit longer and focus on something that's more painful. Prioritize, triage and prioritize, right? You know, and it's an investment. I'm not going to lie. I, secrets management, you know, putting together a secrets manager and changing your applications to use it, it's an investment. It's not like you can magically convert all of your applications to use something like Vault overnight, right? There's a series of steps to do it. There's a couple of technical things that you do need to implement. There are things that you have to change about your application. Everybody sort of asks me, do I have to refactor my application to use Vault? And the answer is, you do. I'm sorry, yeah. but you kind of do because that's, you know, Vault changes, which is a little different than I think some cloud provider related secrets managers. Vault 
offers dynamic secrets, which means it can handle the generation of new secrets as well as revocation of old secrets for you. And most applications do not do a live reload of config that easily. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. it's a common, I think it's a common aha moment in like someone's container learning because we use environment variables for everything in containers, so to speak, is they realize that, oh, if I want to change a value, my app's not going to know about it. And it's just, that's, it's only the most modern apps that I feel like are using remote, you know, APIs or whatever you want to call it to gain not just secrets, but configuration or whatever. And that they're doing it, that they're aware, like a pub sub model, or I don't know, however they want to do it. But that's super rare for me in my consulting because usually I'm working with companies that are trying to make a, take a monolith and turn it into containers. And that monolith comes with all the monolith old school mindset of, oh yeah, it's a file on the hard drive and it only ch- it only checks it when it loads up the first time. And that's just kind of a, I feel like that's a kind of a standard operating procedure for most libraries and languages is we only, our config is at rest on a file system. You only get it. At start and good yeah. luck if you need to change something in the middle. That's yeah. a good point. I'm actually glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's example in this repository, but it, the important thing is that we don't typically have applications that understand that that maybe there's a diff and I should do something in response. And it's not as easy as saying I'll just reload myself. You have to disconnect database connections. You have to finish off any sessions that you do have available to these outs. You know, to any of these external services or upstream services you're connecting to. It's very nuanced. And, uh, you know, in the case of Vault, Vault will help you do this in that on Kubernetes, what's really neat is that they have the agent injector, which is behaves like a client, but it acts as like a sidecar. And what it will do is retrieve those secrets for you and write it to a file, which is exactly the traditional way of how, you know, an application would retrieve the secret. Or if you want to use environment variables still, which is, you know, in container space, very common. You can use the CSI provider, the Vault CSI provider, which will and add it to environment variables for you, right? As part of the container in, inside the Kubernetes deployment definition. But you know, you still have to handle the second part where the application must have awareness of that difference. And so the only way that you do it now really is to say, okay, if Vault Agent writes it to a file, Vault Agent will issue a command. Unfortunately, a remote command to basically send a sync term to your application container and restart the application container because that's the only way that the application understands that it needs to reconnect. Yeah. And the CSI provider is probably the one I have the most experience with because it's mostly these, it's shoehorning vault into legacy, like we talked about, like legacy apps that are looking for a file or for environment variables because it's not just secrets, right? It's applications that only know about their configuration at startup. And then when you change that configuration, whether that's in Vault or in Kubernetes or in something else, how does that app know to restart itself? And that is actually like when Helm tries to solve it, there's all these different ways that we try to, you know, there's things where people have, they put in metadata into their Kubernetes YAML to randomize and make it look different so that they're essentially convinced, they tell Kubernetes that they need to change it, even though nothing's changed. It, there's all these, if people are having these problems and they look it up, they're going to find solutions, but none of them are great, right? Unless you recode your app to adapt to a more modern approach. And that's, it's interesting that I mean, we could have a whole show about what is it, what would be the ideal design for Python or whatever, when yeah. you want to do, you know, auto changing secrets or whatever, I'm using the wrong term there, but if you want, if you wanted the most modern approach, but that's not Like most people are not that way. Most people are dealing with legacy apps that they have to shoehorn into containers. Maybe in five years, 
10 years, like once we've had Kubernetes for a ge- almost a generation, maybe maybe we'll be in a world where that app, all the, all, like all the apps have already been developed in containers by default. Like maybe there'll be that yeah. day in our lifetime. But I don't think it's, I don't think we're there yet. No, I don't think so either. And it is worth pointing out, someone mentioned GitOps, right? There was the original question about Git and Vault and it was about GitOps. It's a good point because, you know, someone was saying like, well, what about GitOps? Where I'm just going to keep deploying my app. I, I want to use it so that my application automatically picks it up. It's pretty much the same approach. You know, it's the same approach as if you weren't using GitOps. Your application still needs to have some awareness that it needs to restart and pick up a new set of secrets. But in the case of GitOps, if you're using some other tool, right, some other framework like Argo or Flux, it will handle sort of a static injection, in which case maybe that will already handle a restart for you. So there are ways that you can kind of externalize this because Kubernetes has all of these ecosystem offerings. You can externalize it outside of even the application. But again, it requires a another piece of software to have that awareness. Right. There's a great question, I think, on the relationship between password managers and something like Vault. Can they be integrated in a simple way? For example, I have thought about integrating CI with Passbolt. Man, there's so many of these tools. But And before you answer, I often will describe a lot of these tools in either it's a human password storage system based on the human being the primary interaction point, or it's an automated system that's mostly for the machines to get their passwords. And I'm going to say this, and I know it's wrong. I look at things like traditionally as like LastPass and 1Password as primarily for humans to use, not for machines, and then primarily as Vault for machines to use and not so much humans storing their own personal passwords. Do you agree with this at all? Does this sound, although this is all changing, everything's in flux. Yes, but, um, this is very consistent. <laughs> this is very consistent with Vault's intended use case. Vault was not made for human passwords, you know, or it was not made for humans to go and retrieve the passwords because it accounts, it uses something called authentication methods. And these authentication methods are made for automation, right? They're made to authenticate based on machine identity. Now, there's nothing that says people don't, some people do use Vault as human password manager, human right. identity password managers, but they have to add a lot of things to Vault in order for them to have a you, you know, at least a user experience where it makes, you know, it makes their workflow seamless. But not to say people don't do it, but most of the time, if you're doing something with CI specifically, you want to use the runner or the agent, the CI agent's identity, machine identity, and that will allow you to authenticate to Vault. So that's where the difference is. Yeah, that's a good point. I know the lines are blurring as these tools get more and more advanced. Like, for instance, I'm a big 1Password fan for my personal passwords, and they have added things like SSH key management. They've added APIs to actually get machine passwords out of it. And they're tinkering around with focusing on the developer's problem set. But I would say that we're still very early days in there. And I still look at these tools as I I really kind of want my infrastructure secrets management to not be meddled with by a bunch of humans that are also trying to store their own passwords. I mean, just this is just my preference, but even if you could do it, I'm not sure I'd want, you know, 300 user accounts in my company having access to Vault and having to manage the secrets, the, the group, the, the grouping and permissions and our back of all that stuff, because I ideally, I, I want to keep my Vault, and this is just me, I want to keep it as simple as possible. I want to keep it on, on reliable, easy, simple infrastructure. It has to be there. It's It becomes a little bit of a linchpin, if you're, if you think of like, how do I get everything and continue to keep it running? If you don't have, if you're storing all your secrets in Vault and Vault isn't available, you're going to have problems. And so I personally like to keep it as, that's why I like the cloud offering because I, I can just keep it as simple as possible. I don't I have very little to manage. I want 
the least amount of people to have access to it as possible, you know, maybe a security yeah. team person and then a couple of DevOps people or one dev or something. But other than that, I don't want 100 people inside of there, but that's what we need for personal human management. So that's a great conversation. We could, again, have a whole show on that. On AWS Cloud, wouldn't SSM offer a centralized solution providing secrets to EKS, Lambda, et cetera? Any strong use cases when to think about Vault? We've kind of answered this question, one-liner summary of that. <laughs> Yeah. Vault will offer you the ability to handle different kinds of secrets across different workloads. It also allows you to handle certificate management. So you can issue and rotate certificates. You can do encryption in transit. So you, it will also handle encryption keys for various workloads that are in and out of AWS. You know, if you want API tokens as well that are not AWS related, then Vault will handle that. So the difference between that AWS, some, you know, secrets manager, other secrets manager offerings for AWS specifically is that they're assumed to be very static. Vault will, if you do enable it, will handle dynamic revocation of those secrets as well. Yeah, the and then the minute you want to add something up, I mean, it's very rare for me to meet a team that every single tool they use is the AWS tool. You know, like forget storage, uh, CI automation, automated testing infrastructure setup, like you name it, there's a ton of SaaSes out there that all do this stuff. And the minute you start adding those, I just think that you're eventually will start to have challenges. And again, it's a pain point. Like you will know when you're copying secrets between systems manually using copy and paste, that's one of the signs that maybe there's a better way. How often is a vault unseal in a production app? Let's say I'm generating and storing a private key. Every time a user is created, do I have to unseal it at every operation? So I'll answer this in two different ways. So in terms of unsealing Vault itself, which is an operator, from an operator standpoint, if you're running a Vault server in your Kubernetes cluster, and let's say that Kubernetes cluster goes down or some of the nodes go down and it, you know things get rescheduled, in a production setting, it will be however often those nodes go down, right? And when Vault comes back up, it will be sealed again and you will need to unseal. Now, the second, I guess the second variant to this question is how often from an application standpoint, it's not really doing an unseal, but how often does an application need to get the password and username? And that's a good question. If you are using a static secret engine, meaning you store it in key and a value, that means that there is no expiration. You, you, meaning the security team, operations team, platform team, whoever you are, who are, you know, you're storing that secret for that application to use you handle the rotation and revocation of that secret. And in that case, your application would only need to restart when you change that secret. However, if you are doing something like the database secrets engine, anything that's a dynamic secrets engine, meaning that Vault is handling the creation as well as the revocation of the old, creation of a new secret, revocation of the old secret. In that case, Vault will issue a new username and password or API token whatever that secret is, will issue a new secret anytime there's a new machine identity or your application renews its use of that secret. So an example of this is in case of Kubernetes, anytime a new pod comes up, it gets a unique username and password for a database, for example. In that situation, that's why you do a restart to get a new username and password, and that will prevent that secret from expiring, right? You can do sort of in-place renewal, that is possible, but you have to issue that renewal from your application or from Vault agent. So the two variants of that question is the Vault unseal from an operator standpoint, which is Vault server itself. But then there's the application perspective where if you have a secret in Vault and Vault is handling the secret for you, you will have you know, you, the time in which that 
application needs that secret will heavily depend on when the life cycle of the identity itself, the machine identity itself, as well as how you're handling renewals. If anybody goes through the repository and you're, you know, you're sort of stuck on it, just let me know. I'm happy to you know, answer any questions as well on it. More importantly, it will teach about agent injectors. So that is the sidecar, vault agent sidecar mm-hmm. that runs with every application and it will template out a file in which there's a file-based approach, right? And then you can use the CSI provider, which we mentioned quite a bit, but the CSI provider also allows you to do a file-based approach for secrets injection and a in-environment variable approach if you don't have the ability to do file-based injection. And I think in terms of vault operations, not so much covered in that in the demo repository, but it does cover a lot of the initial setup that you would need. So authentication methods, meaning how does a pod authenticate to vault? And the hint about that is that it uses a service account, actually. So you have to set up Vault to connect to a Kubernetes service account, and it uses the service account JSON web token, the JWT, in order to validate the pod identity. So for every application that needs to connect to Vault, make sure you create a service account associated with it, mm-hmm. and then you enable that in Vault, in the Vault Kubernetes authentication method. I personally want to get into talking about HTTP Vault and like how would I set that up in Kubernetes, but I feel like that's a whole separate episode now. Um, I mean, we could go through it really quickly. I mean, basically, it's an external vault address. So when you set up HTTP vault, you know, the value on the Helm chart with the external uh, address, that is going to be the HTTP vault endpoint. And you just pop it in there. That's it. Hey, audio listener. It turns out we did another demo. So this is where we cut that one out too. Yeah, so it feels like if I could describe this process of if someone's zero day, zero day vault, and they're just now going to go to the docs today because we convinced them. It sounds like, okay, you have to decide on either self-hosted or HTTP. And so are you using cloud or are you, using, are you doing it yourself? So then you got to do that first. And then you need to tell your Kubernetes, assuming you have Kubernetes, and that's why you're here because this topic was on about secrets and Kubernetes. You need to tell your cluster how it's going to get secrets, for something like CSI or whatever. And then, of course, I guess step three is you got to seed it with all the secrets to make it valuable. So you actually got to put secrets in the vault. And then you can go to your resources, whether you use Helm or Customize or whatever your choice is for your apps, you're then updating those. And maybe you were doing environment variables before using Kubernetes secrets, and you're just going to change ever so slightly that YAML to point to the vault CSI rather than the secrets object itself. So it's like maybe two or three lines of YAML per secret. This sounds like a high-level project overview. Am I describing it correctly? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is correct. It, yeah. And in all honesty, it's probably more like 10 lines, you know, like okay. if you're using CSI, it will be more like 10 to 15 lines. You have to create a secret provider class object instead of a secret object. So you create a secret provider class object, which will connect to Vault for you. And then you will have to add another 10 lines onto the application deployment or mm. a stateful set or daemon set, whatever you decide. But you do have to add 10, 10 lines for a volume mount. CSI, secret story yeah. driver requires volume mounts, so you do have to add a volume mount. Even if you do the environment variable thing, it needs that mount. So make sure you add the 10 lines for the mount. That's a great point, too. That's actually when people are learning containers in general, when it comes to volumes in particular, but also with networks, I'm thinking like their first days when they're in Compose, there's also this, there's a sometimes a stumbling block when people think, I don't just define it in the container, I also have to define it at a higher level so that it exists before I actually try to use it inside a container. And Kubernetes does that same thing in pods, but it's a concept that's also in Compose and other Docker things that people 
that are on this show that walk through my courses are mm -hmm. struggling with just because it's not obvious that you need to have these things created and defined before you use them inside of your container definition. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yes. All right. And one step that I think we did forget to mention, the creation, you did say seeding the secrets and seeding yes. the auth methods. So setting up authentication methods, setting up secrets engines as a note, you can do this in a couple different ways. You can use Vault API. You can use the Terraform provider for Vault. You can't, there are community controllers out there that allow you to do this in Kubernetes. So I did want to mention that because there are a lot of questions I get about specifically setting up or seeding all of the initial configuration involved. Right. Yeah. Cause you probably have a lot of secrets somewhere else and a lot you've done, like most people are not greenfield and they're, so they've got all this existing stuff and now they have to figure out how to get it to vault. So that can be, I can see how that can be complex. And we probably don't realize how many without vault even existing, how many different ways you authenticate things, username, passwords, and databases, API keys, all these different various ways, single sign-on, you, you name it. And starting to bring all those in, actually, I mean, it's one of those things where I continue to question on my own little toy infrastructure. Like, do I really just need like a permanent vault or do I, you know, do I need, do I, because, you know, demos, right? You need everything for demos. So the last little thing I'm gonna ask about is, so for the cloud platform, is there a free option for a developer? Like how can they get started other than just reading the docs? If they wanna try out the cloud version, does it require a credit card? Like, Yeah, so I believe there are trial credits available and there's the initial development tier. And then after that, there are other larger tiers for production workloads. So if you wanna just get started, you know, you can sign up. There's, I think the trial credit of or something like this at this time. And, it, and that's for the development tier. But as you start, having more and more secrets and more services accessing, then it will, I believe it will start charging per service instance or something like that. Yeah. Okay. More yeah. I'm sure it's all on the website for everyone. So mm -hmm. I'm mostly talking about for those that are listening in the podcast version, but this has been great because I think, well, one, I had a big gap in all these tools I'm showing off and then we don't talk about how to store the secrets. We did have one last question that I didn't really get to, which was talking about sealed secrets in Git versus Vault. And you kind of touched on that in the beginning. Um, I like sealed secrets at the beginning for people specifically, because I think that there maybe that person knows my history and I was explaining it one day. So I'm just going to wrap this up by giving a little bit of a story. When people are getting started, with all of this Kubernetes stuff. And I, that's when I usually get involved. And I said that earlier. I'm always trying to minify the number, like reduce the number of projects they feel like they have to implement in order to simply push an application to Kubernetes. So in most of those cases, when they're getting started with Kubernetes, we usually pick one app, not literally one container, but one solution that we're going to deploy on containers on a Kubernetes cluster. And in order to do that, what I don't want to do is implement a new logging solution, a new monitoring solution, a new storage solution, a new networking solution, a new secret solution, like you name it. I don't want all those things getting in their way. So one of the big things that I usually do with them is do it as simple as possible. And sealed secrets allows them to not have to implement another tool, another product to simply get one app into production. However, as a fan of sealed secrets and Vault, I will tell you that there is definitely that stage in the maturity of every team that I work with, where they have to leave sealed secrets, at least for a, some things, to move to Vault because sealed secrets doesn't, and if someone's like, I don't know what sealed secrets is, it's just an easy way to securely put secrets in Git storage by encrypting them. And then you store the decryption key in Kubernetes. But 
that only goes so far. One, it's only for Kubernetes and Vault can be for lots of things. So you're, the minute that you want to do something outside of Kubernetes, you realize that sealed secrets can't help you, at least in its current iteration from Bitnami. Anywho, that's, I, we didn't get to that question. I also didn't want to make you answer it. So <laughs> it was a great answer. That's actually the answer that I tend to give because pe so many people use it, right? And it, again, you may not want to make the time investment to move immediately to Vault, right? Because you might need it. But when yeah. you start having so many workloads across many different places, it may be more practical to look at Vault. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and there are pros and cons to each because I, I pimp out sealed secrets like it's the bomb, but it's really the bomb for people that are brand new and they just want to start with Kubernetes and not store clear text passwords, which is my goal for them. So my goal is to just keep the passwords off the internet. So however you do that is great. I think that I would vote for Vault, assuming you had the time and the people to do it. But a lot of times my teams are like, let's just start as fast as possible. So putting a couple of sealed secrets in a simple YAML file is easy enough for them to get started. But eventually they're going to need something else. Maybe not to replace, but at least in addition to. Okay. So as a wrap up, Vault is a thing. Kubernetes is a thing. So, I mean, that, different strokes for different folks. But the likelihood is if you have an infrastructure team, they're probably going to want Vault eventually for something outside of your sealed secrets usage anyway, because I'm the infrastructure person, not so much the developer. And I feel like Vault is one of those that kind of straddles both worlds and it allows the infrastructure people to manage their stuff, the developers to manage their stuff, whereas a lot of the other solutions are more dev centric, I feel like. And I sometimes work with teams that don't, you know, the infrastructure people don't even know Git. So, you know. That they don't, they need something else. Like they can't use seals here. All right. So we know where to get you. You're on Instagram. I will update the notes when the podcast comes out. There will be the notes, the links to all the things that Rosemary shared. You can get Vault, obviously, all the documentation at the vaultproject.io. And you can find out about the cloud offering as well as how to run it yourself. And Rosemary is on the internet. So <laughs> find her. <laughs> ask her questions, check out her repos and examples. That's what she does. And I'm looking forward to finding an excuse to have you on next time because this is now yeah. the second time this year. So I'm going to have to ask you later for yet another live stream. What's next for you? Well, you know, it's probably just more Vault and console. I've been exploring Boundary actually quite a bit. So Boundary is for handling human identity. So that's been really interesting to learn about and handle and scale. So I'll probably do a little bit of Boundary stuff next, but I'll be at Datadog Dash, Datadog Dash, the conference. And we're going to talk about audit logging, security audit logging for your automation, which is pretty, pretty exciting. So yes, getting, dipping my toes into security. If you can automate all of my auditing, that's a tongue twister. Automate my auditing. I would be happy. Like auditing isn't that fun. So I, I definitely want to automate it. <laughs> well, very cool. And I haven't checked out Boundary. Someone was mentioning it. So yeah, that's very cool. I'm going to have to look at that project. So thanks again so much for being on the show. And if you have questions, find her on Twitter. Didn't provide all the details. So she's <laughs> over there with the rest of us on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.